my fellow life architect. It is I, Adam Carroll, here with episode number 155 of the show. Man, are you in for a treat today? This has got to be one of my most favorite interviews of all time. It's kind of part de because this particular guest was on the very, very first episode of the Build a Bigger Life podcast. My good friend, Scott Ginsburg. Now, I say my good friend, and you're going to ask, well, why did you wait 154 episodes to get him back? That's exactly what he asked me right at the beginning of our show. I uh, and Scott go a long ways back, like 2008. So I've known this guy for about 12 years. He's one of the most insanely creative people you will ever meet. And on the show today, we're going to talk about TED Talks. We're going to talk about adaptation in the midst of COVID and quarantine and uh, Scott's got a couple of really good tidbits about maintaining adaptability. Um, we talk about boredom. We talk about laziness, which you're going to like because they don't exist. And then we're also going to talk about the two things that make most people not feel great in the midst of this environment that we're in. That's a little tease for the show later. Scott Ginsburg is the author of over 50 books uh, he has written probably thousands upon thousands of articles, and he's the creator of a software platform called Prolific, which we'll talk about a little bit in the second half of the interview today. The show today is being brought to you by theshredmethod.com. As you know, if you've been listening to the show for any length of time, I am debt-free, and I paid off my mortgage a little over a year and a half ago, and I did it by using theshredmethod.com. It's one of my favorite ways to help people achieve lifelong freedom and flexibility. When you own more of your income, it just makes more things possible. You dig? And so if you want to know more, check out theshredmethod.com. There is a free Kickstarter class that's available to you right now. Go to theshredmethod.com and plug in your deets, and uh, the video training will be available to you immediately. All right, so without further ado, here is my good friend, my creative mastermind partner, Mr. Scott Ginsburg. I'm so excited for my next guest, return guest, Scott Ginsburg of Hello, My Name is Scott and Prolific and all sorts of other things we're going to talk about today. Scott, welcome back to the Build a Bigger Life podcast. Well, thank you. It only took 154 episodes to, to make my way back. So things are so different now for both of us. I, I call it the first half and the second half. You were <laughs> my very first interview on the show. And uh, I'm honored that you're willing and able to come back with me. It's my pleasure. I mean, we're all stuck here at home. So what a, what a perfect podcasting opportunity. Totally, totally. Well, you know, the first question I ask of every guest, what do you love about your life right now? Well, uh, I got a dog. My wife and I, a couple months ago, picked up uh, a Australian cattle dog named Lily, and it's very exciting having a dog. Uh, number one, dogs love routine, and I'm all about routine, so that fits nicely into my life. And uh, the other thing is, because we have a dog, we get to connect with other human beings at dog parks and on the street and stuff like that. And in the uh, COVID world, that was hard this year. And uh, yeah, I mean... It's, it's nice to have that reconnection with people that we, we otherwise wouldn't have met. I love it. Do you and Lily do downward dog together? She's good. Uh, her, I mean, she's, she's really lean. And so like her yoga postures are, are very strong and I, yeah. I still, I still do my yoga, but she, I tell you, she, she's got some flexibility. That's impressive. 
Two different colored eyes on Lily or, or same color? No, she's got the same color, but she's got the uh, cartoonish one ear up, one ear down. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's really cute. I, she's cute. I mean, no one wants to say their dog or their child is ugly, but she's pretty cute. Our mutual friend, Mitch Matthews has yep. a sheep dog or a, is it a cattle dog? What is it? An Australian? Yeah. Cattle dog, herding dog. I mean, herding dog yeah. uh, named Lily. Oh my God. That's so funny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Small world. Yeah. Uh, if you yourself at home listening have an Australian sheepdog or catalog named Willie, uh, yeah, send us a note. Join um, the club, Scott. I was going back through uh, some of some of your material, and I watched the entirety of your TEDx talk. <laughs> nice. I was in stitches. I, you did such a masterful job on that TED stage. Thank you. I mean, it, like you did a TEDx event before TEDx events were Vogue. Mm. and it does not nearly have the number of views that it should because it is so good. Yeah. It is so well, good. Well, thank you. Uh, technically, it is hosted on two different places, my site and the TED site. So whatever you see, it's it's more than that. It's just, I, I have my own version of it. But that's just a technicality. Gotcha. I, to, okay. Just to, to satisfy your disappointment with that, uh, with that number. I know it should be higher, but that's okay. Thank you. Um, it, if you've not well, seen it, go go watch it. Yeah, I'm, I, thank you. I'm really proud of it. Here's let me, let me share something about TED that I think is fascinating. So um, I did that in 2014, January, uh, in St. Louis, in my hometown, which makes it even more special, in an auditorium that's one of my favorite concert venues where I saw Bruce Hornsby play music. I was on the stage that he was on. So like that alone, Hornsby. the greatest. So just doing it was, was amazing. Um, but post- uh, Ted, what I learned, uh, in, in, I guess now in the past six or seven years is Ted has such a strong brand and they have so much prestige and equity in what they've done. Uh, I think masterfully, uh, and, and the company itself and then the people that have done it, the fact that I've done that like amazes people <laughs> and, and, and I'm thrilled when I hear that. And I, I'm, I feel really privileged to be able to say that, but I'm like, I mean, I, I've done some cool stuff, but like that, that just, people were like, whoa. And I'm, it, it's, it's kind of like in 2002 when I wrote my first book and people were like, wow, you wrote a book. And you know, now everyone's, everyone's got a book. There's, you know, some people have 50 books, those jerks. So like it, there's some sort of cachet that may or may not last for any longer. I don't know, but um, I guess it's a testament to what Ted has done. And then if, if you're able to be aligned with that in any way, like Adam, I know you are. Um, yeah. yeah what, what a gift. Oh, it's a brilliant brand. Yeah. It's a brilliant brand. Uh, people have said, oh my gosh, I was, I was just list. I had Ted talks on right. rotation on YouTube. Right. And then I heard your voice and I looked up and you were there. So I was in the rotation on, on. Oh. oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess it's like a playlist. I mean, I'm more yeah. of a music, I'm more of like a music guy on, on a playlist, but yeah, I see how people would do that. Huh. They do. Yeah. And in huh. fact, I think mine went viral because it was on so many playlists. That was one of the reasons that it uh, increased the virality of it. Huh. So. Well, I missed the boat on that one, Dan. <laughs> not yet. We're still going to get that thing. Uh, I'm going to put you on my playlist and my kids' playlist. We'll get you ranking soon. Nice. Um, we, ha we talked pre-interview a little bit about life in COVID. And uh, just to tease the audience here, we're going to talk about your new software prolific, which I am absolutely blown away by. We'll, we'll save that for the second half. Sure. But I want to talk a little bit about current environment, how you're experiencing it, 
uh, you are a philosopher at heart and I know you've got Mm -hmm. some cool philosophies around it. Specifically, we're locked in at home. We're with people. We're, you know, again, pre-interview, we talked about just compressing the amount of time, energy, and space that people have together. Yeah. Give me your take on it. It's wild, man. I, none of us have ever seen anything like it. And I guess a couple of points come to mind. I think the first thing that comes to mind is the idea of adaptation. I, in the past couple of years, I've just thought a lot about Darwin and about evolution and, and adaptation and how that stuff works. And I, I think the, the piece from Darwin that I always refer back to is that evolution doesn't favor the strong, only the most uh, adaptable. Uh, and, and and to me, that, that has never been more true personally, and I'm sure for others as well during this time. So it's like, all right, well, how adaptable am I really? Um, if, if my favorite places are closed, if my office is closed, like, am I going to be able to work at home and be able to, to do the job mm. that is going to be useful for my teammates? I hope so. And if I can't, um, go to the YMCA or the yoga studio to like take care of my fitness, like, all right, well, better figure out how I'm going to do that here. Um, so it's, that, that's the first thing is, is, is just how much, uh, how, how adaptable are people really? And I've, I will say that I'm, I'm proud of my ability to adapt because I didn't always have that. Um, I think my wife has taught me how to be better with change. She's much better with change and adapting than I am. I like my routine so much. And uh, that's just, I'm an ENTJ at heart. If anyone does Myers-Briggs and, yes. I'm, an, and I'm an Enneagram four. So those two com- combined are a, a sort of routinized person. So oh my gosh, yeah. individualist. No, oh one, no one's life is as unique as yours, right? Oh my God. Fours are such a pain in the ass. But Anyway, um, that, that's the first thing that comes to mind. And I'll, I'll pause for a sec if you want to comment on the uh, the adaptation piece. Uh, the, the only thing I will say and add to that is I talked to a molecular biologist some time ago. He was a PhD hmm. turned consultant, did a lot of work in, in corporations. And he said that what we're going through is punctuated equilibrium. Hmm. Evolution takes a very long time to occur. Right. That what we're, we're going through is this, this idea of punctuated <laughs> equilibrium where people are forced to adapt in a very short amount of time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think your environment either supports that or it doesn't. Yeah, I agree. And so I assume Brittany's a little more upbeat, positive, optimistic, changes, you know, uh-huh. can reframe things for you, those kinds of things. And if you don't have that around you, I think it's it's easy to see how it'd be hard to adapt. Like if all we're yeah. doing is complaining, yeah. hard to yeah. change to it, right? Yeah, I agree. So another piece that I think was probably more early COVID than um, we may still be in early COVID, but whatever. So the beginning, I'll say, of COVID, I don't know if it's early still, but in, in you know, April, March, April, May, uh, the word boredom came up a lot. And a lot of people were talking about boredom. There's a lot of research on boredom and how to handle boredom. And um, for the people that were stuck at home all day um, and couldn't go out to, to do things that they usually do. Well, I think what it confronted people with were number one, oh no, I don't have any hobbies or interests. Uh, Netflix does not count as a hobby. Sorry. <laughs> so I, I think that scared people, and I, I think it it held up a mirror to people that yeah. challenged them to think about, well, how can I how can I do interesting things that br- bring me joy that are include my passion that that help me feel fulfilled, and um, I. I guess because that's sort of a, always been a thing for me, I, I assume that everyone's like that way. And classic Enneagram 4, I assume everyone's like me. They're not. So that's something that I think people were confronted with. It's like, oh, no, I, 
I got to find stuff to do. Um, and, and that, that concerns me, I think just societally, because yeah. it's, it's important to have interests and, and things that bring us joy that, that are just fun and, and, and engaging. And, um, I, I'm grateful that I have that kind of stuff. And I, I think that when people say they're bored, it's a cop-out. I, yeah. if someone, if someone says, how do you feel? And you say you're bored. I'm like, that's not a feeling. I'm sorry. Uh, you're sad, you're empty, you're lonely, you're afraid. Those are feelings. Boredom is not a feeling. And so when people say they're bored, it's almost the equivalent to when someone says, that's weird. It's like, no, no, no. Weird is not a feeling. <laughs> Just like boredom. These are, these are placeholder terms that people use when they're out of touch with how they feel. Yeah. So if someone says, well, it's April, I've been indoors for a month and COVID sucks. I'm just, I'm bored. You're not, you are, you're lonely and you're probably sad because that's what I felt. And that's what right. everyone felt. So like, you're not bored. It's just that when you connect with people and that brings you joy and when you're engaged, you're happy. So, so boredom is not the thing, nor is weird the thing. And, and so that, that was another thing that reflected to me is how people's language was, um, uh, symptomatic or something larger that also concerns me. I love that thought though. Um, and it, for me, what it triggers is my dad used to say, if I said I'm busy, hmm. he would say, you sound very committed to that. Yeah. I like that. And I kind of sense the same in boredom and busy is right. almost like lazy, indiscriminate thinking about what is going on. Or, yeah. And I, I agree with you. I think people are missing hobbies and Mm. Uh, alternate things to do that aren't, you know, that don't involve mindlessly answering emails or surfing the internet at work. Yeah. And, you know, you said another word that I have a big problem with, which is lazy, because I don't believe in that either. I don't use that word anymore about myself or others, because I think people say lazy as a way to not have compassion for themselves. Mm. I think laziness is a cop out for not wanting to do self care. Like, oh, I feel, I'm so lazy. It's like, no, you're not. You, your body needed rest. Or you needed to not do things for a while. And it's like, yeah. it, it's like you know, another list of like, oh, well, I need to catch up on my Netflix. No, you don't. There is nothing to catch up on. It, you're, you're, okay. Every, you're okay. Everything's okay. I love that. I love that. Um, did you catch yourself saying, uh, clearly not, bored? No, absolutely not. Uh, which, in fact, I mean, we'll, we'll get to this later. I mean, I, I was not bored, but I knew that I had uh, what Eric Maisel, one of my favorite psychologists, calls um, it was a divestment in meaning. So in Eric Maisel's work, which I'm a huge student of, talks about the way that we create meaning in the world and how meaning is not meaning is not um, found; it is made. Right. So we don't go out searching for meaning; um, we make it. And I knew that uh, not being in the office around my friends and colleagues. Um, I not being able to see my family, all these drains of meaning in my life. Well, I'm like, well, shit, I got to step it up. Uh, I, I need to either find new investments of meaning uh, or take existing investments um, and, and amp those up. And so I was very aware of that very early. And that led to some really exciting stuff that has happened this year that I'm, I'm really proud of. Cool. And we will talk about that. Sure. I had a similar um, experience in April where I was feeling very... Uh, unsettled and dissatisfied with, right. you know, my current state and, and what was going on and more, more like emotionally in the fact that I know as a person, I crave variety. Yeah. So to be in one place all day long 
some days I just like get in my car and drive around for an hour because uh, I like different, that. you yep. know? Um, but what I realized when I was missing was one of my core values, which is connection. Mm. And there is something about connecting with you, you know, via zoom, mm. but there's another kind of connection where you're face to face, toe to toe, you're hugging it out with friends or you're oh, yeah. shaking. And I, you know, I think some people will say it's the death of the handshake. And I'm afraid that part of the, the emotional state for most people is they're just not getting enough hugs. I know. Um, but, I know. but yeah, I realized connection was missing. Yeah. It's, it's the worst. I, I don't know. I, I have this theory that um, whatever problems we have, it's usually a failure of connection or contribution. I think, it, I think it always goes back to that. I remember a couple of years ago, I was in a men's group, a weekly men's group. Uh, it was very intense, uh, three-hour Wednesday night men's group when we got into like really heavy stuff. And I remember we did like, uh, like an exercise of, of people's biggest fears and stuff like that. And I remember walking home thinking everyone's fear had something to do with either I'm afraid I'm going to, you know, people to die or this will happen or this will happen around people connection. Or like, I'm afraid I'm... I'm, I'm useless and I, I'm not doing anything with my life and I'm not making a different contribution. contribution. I, I think those, those are like the biggest two things that it always goes back to. That's awesome. Yeah. That is hugely insightful. Yeah. I, hugely insightful. I, I think about that all the time. It's a good segue. You think about a lot of things. <laughs> <As> I, know. <laughs> um, I You know, one of the things that always inspired me about you when I first met you and let's go, let's jump into the Wayback Machine, shall we? I remember this. Okay. You were speaking at the, I want to say it was like the Greater Des Moines Partnership. It was YP Iowa. YP Iowa. Yes, YP Iowa, um, which is actually a division of the Greater Des Moines Partnership. I oh, believe. okay, cool. Got it. And so you'd been hired by YP Iowa. You came in. I was blown away by your talk. Professionalism. Candidly, I kind of just wanted to be you in the moment because you were the bell of the ball in that oh, room. Thanks. And you have this book and then it's like, well, I have these other books. And then I meet you and you're like, oh, there's 25 books behind that. How many books are you up to now? Uh, 50. 50 books. I know. And I proceeded to read a number of those books. Like ideas are, are uh, ideas are not ideas are priceless. Ideas are. You'll get it. No, execution <laughs> is priceless. Yeah. I can't remember that shit. Ideas anyway. are useless. Tell me ideas, ideas are free. Execution is priceless. Ideas are free. That's right. That's okay. I, I can't keep me straight either. Don't but I love that book. And I went back to it over and over again because you are an execution guy. Yeah. You, you write module after module after yeah. module. Yeah. And I watched you prepare when you presented for Succeed Faster when Tim Augustine and I were putting that on. That's right. And I watched you prepare as if it were a play. <laughs> and you were orchestrating the movements and the slide changes and the timing. And I was blown away by how just how much of an art creation is for you. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, God, that was a long time ago. Those are, those are two separate events. That's 2008. And then I think Succeed Faster was in uh, 2012. Yep. 2012. Uh, San Antonio. That was awesome. That was a fun trip. I remember going around the river walk before the presentation in the morning. Cause I, I just, you know, get all pumped up and stuff like yeah. that. Uh, well, thank you. Um, yeah. I mean, what I've learned uh, about myself is that creating things is the most natural way for me to engage with the world. And that is my own inner world. That is other people. That is the, the whatever the marketplace, the universe at large. It's, 
it, it's my conduit to everything. And yeah. I've, I've figured out, I figured out not only how, how to make things, which is like, that's one skill, but I also figured out is how to use the things I make. Yes. And that, that's not insignificant. That, that's a piece that, that I think a lot of people probably fall off at that point. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of people struggle with making things and that's one fall off point. And then the people that do, it's like, well, well, cool. And you don't always have to do something with it. I, there's, I think there's room for creation that, that does nothing. Cause I, I love doing that. Um, but for, I mean, for example, I work for a, a marketing startup and you know, my job is to make things, but also to say, okay, great. We have this thing. So how does the sales team use this new thing that we made to persuade uh, prospects? And, and how do we use this to find c- clients that churned four years ago? How do we get them back? Like yeah. that, that, that operationalizes creativity, uh, in, in my case, on a team perspective, but this could work for anybody. It's like, great, let, let's leverage what we just made and, and get some mileage out of it. Um, that to me is like this other skill that I've, I've really learned how to do well. It's awesome. It's um it's really astute of you to mention that that figuring out writing, but then figuring out how to use the writing. Right. The and I know that some years ago, it was probably three or four years ago, you had talked about creating a, um, was it a content management system or a... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've been thinking about that for a long time. I mean, I... I've always thought about how to do it. I knew that the way that I organized my content and the process I had was really unique, but the technology wasn't there yet. I mean, I started thinking about this 15 years ago, at least, and the tech wasn't there yet. And then about five years ago, the tech had made some progress and I did some very basic apps, just like web apps. There were free single serving apps just to try it, you know, yeah. and it, uh, you know, had, for someone who always made art to, to, build an app or, and, and I don't mean like a smartphone app, but to, to build a web application that was very different and very hard for me because it's very logical, which I am not. And it's, it's coding. That's, that's different. So, um, yeah, you know, five or so years ago, I started looking at some like ways to take what I've written and use technology to amplify it, but it, it, it still wasn't quite there, but I did learn a few things that ultimately helped me where I am now with, with a new product that, that is there. And it's, um, I've, I've had a chance to look under the hood, play around with it a little bit. It's called Prolific. Um, and what I love about the name of the software um, is that Jim Rohn used to say, the only thing we have to leave our future generations are our words and our, our pictures. Wow. And you have been so prolific in your words. 50 books, 11 musical albums, 3,000 articles, 600 speeches, 88 <laughs> training videos, yeah. six software applications, three music films, and one globally recognized brand of hello, my name is Scott.com. Yeah. You've written a ton and it's been used. And so how can someone else use Prolific? What did you create it for? And what is your hope for it? What's the destination? I created it for four kinds of people. These are people who make things for a living and the different types of sort of archetypes that I have. You have, first you have your entrepreneur. So that can be someone like yourself who, you know, is self-employed and, and various business interests uh, on their own, not, uh, not an employee of a company. Then you have an employee, uh, someone who works for an organization, uh, gets a paycheck and has some sort of creative role. Then you have the hybrid, which is sort of where I fall into play because I have a day job. I, I get a paycheck from a great startup, but I also have my own enterprise and, and various projects. 
Yep. And then the, the last archetype is the creative leader. So here's someone that um, is not necessarily the executor of the ideas, but maybe you have someone who manages talent, uh, perhaps at an agency or some or, or at a newspaper, you know, someone whose job is to keep their creative people inspired and motivated and encouraged. And, you know, my, my father is a good example of that. I mean, he was the CEO for 40 plus years and he was the cheerleader. He was the one that had to get people going, and, and that's part of creativity, too. Um, so those are the four types of people that if you are one of those people and one of those archetypes, um, prolific is, is the type of software that can be um, profoundly useful to you. How would someone interact with it? Well, what we've done is we've set up Prolific in, in a, a number of different ways. And, you know, the discipline behind Prolific is called personal creativity management. And personal creativity management, or PCM, just for short, because it's a little wordy, um, PCM is a discipline that I've been practicing now for probably over 20 years. I may not have known I was practicing it in the beginning, but um, what I started to notice years into my creative career is that people saw that the process I had was useful and people asked for my help on it and I consulted on it and coached on it and then wrote about it and it became a big part of the value that I was able to give to others. So what I wanted to do is create a system of tools, create an entire library where someone can like be one of those four archetypes. And when they get stuck, when they're like, if it's COVID and it's April and they're sitting there like, God, man, I am so bored, which as we know, they're not. But if they're sitting there bored, I'm like, great. I love that problem. You come to prolific and you're essentially troubleshooting your creative problems. Okay. So there's a lot of ways you can do that. I mean, one way is to go to the search bar, which is really cool. I mean, just like Google, you go to the search bar and you just say, I am bored. And it will say, oh, you're bored. Here's four tools that might help you overcome that. And then you, you get into the tools and you'll learn how to do that. Another way is say, all right, just start looking at the different tools that they have. Like maybe my mindset is wrong. So great. There's a bunch of mindsets. There's like a hundred different mindset tools. And, and you go and look at those. And you know what I want to do is allow people to get language around what might be wrong. Because not everyone knows what the problem is. And that's okay too. So like you come to prolific, you start to learn, oh, okay here's the parts of the creative process that I struggle with and, and maybe these tools are worth trying. So that way I can do the tools and let, get back to work. Like I don't want to create a site where like people like waste time all day on my site. It's like you go there for a couple minutes, you, you figure out what's going on, get the tool and then like go back to work. <laughs> it's, it's so valuable. I mean, I can't even imagine how long it took you to write yeah. the amount of content that's here. Although yeah. knowing your process I'm guessing you had module after module after module that you're like, oh, I could use this in this instance, or this is the tool I'm going to write for this piece. Yeah, I mean, the content for Prolific I've been writing now for, for many years, but what I really had to do was, was an inventory. And this was something that, like, I really geek out on this stuff, but I have to imagine this, this would be a drop-off point for a lot of people. So at the beginning of COVID, this would have been um, March, April of 2020, I knew I was going to work on a new project. I didn't know it was going to be prolific. I didn't know it was going to be software or personal creativity management. I just, I knew I had something I, I had to do. So I just started doing an inventory of everything that I've written for the past several years, which is a lot. I mean, I'm putting out three books a year at over 100K words a piece. So we're talking probably a million words or, or not quite a million words. That, that's a shitload of stuff to look through. On top of writing at work, dude. Yeah. So, so this is what I was doing in the mornings before work and then late at night and on the weekends is when I had time to myself, just inventorying all the stuff I've written. And I'm like, cause I write so much, I can't keep track of it. It's one of my own problems. It's the problem with being prolific. I know tough problem, right? Yeah. right, right. So yeah. 
So I had to go through and really inventory and go, okay, I, here's the stuff on this topic. Here's the stuff on this topic. And, and I'm, I'm very well organized, but I, what I needed to do was just try to categorize it a little bit tighter than I'd done before. And that took about six weeks. I mean, that's a long time to do inventory. But, you know, after six weeks of going through all this stuff, I'm like, I got it. I, I know what I'm going to do. I, I have the 300 plus tools. I, I know what they are. I know where they go. And then that was kind of where I had to be like, okay, I need someone who knows how to tech program stuff because I don't. And I was really fortunate to uh, have a friend, Ben, who's uh, very talented as a designer and developer. And I basically said, hey, I have all this stuff. Well, well, what are we going to do with it? We, we got to make something with it. And, and that's that's how it came to be. And you made something that is cool. It's it's super user-friendly. I love the interactivity of Thank it. You. I'm looking at it right now. How, what is the destination for you on this? I know typically you birth things into the world and then right. as creators do, you know, it's there, it exists. You love people using it, but right. you'll be on to your next creation, I would guess, at some yeah. point. Yeah, I mean, my destination is I want to sell it to Adobe for $500 million. <laughs> nice. I love it. That's it. I, I very rarely have a destination of like that. And I'm not a results-driven guy, but for this one, I am. So 500 million Adobe. I don't know how long that's going to take. Uh, I'm not in a rush, but but that's what I'm doing. Um, and, and we're going to do it. And it's going to be awesome. I highly recommend you go check it out. It's getprolific.io if you want to go to the site. Um, and I think you have an offer for founding members, right? Yeah. So I wanted to create a cohort the sort of a community of founding members in the beginning, just because I need feedback and I need people to help it grow and to find out where in their workflow they're using it. So what we've done is set aside a hundred slots, although I think we're down to like 50 now, it's, it's going quick facts. And uh, I wanted to have a hundred people that could really sit down with me over the next few months and just give me their feedback and be like, Hey, what's confusing? What doesn't work? What do you, what do you wish was on here? And, and really try to get the kinks out and work some of the bugs out because you got a QA, you know, some software like this. And, you know, with these hundred people, I, I really, and Adam, you're one of those people. I, I want to be able to tap into the community. So that way come 2021, I can do a hard launch. I mean, right now it's in beta. It's a soft launch. It's, it's very early. It's, I mean, I found like 10 broken things today. So it's, it's part of the deal. But I want to get it in working order. So that way, uh, like I said, come 2021, I can go full on with try to do some press outreach and try to do some some bigger stuff and and get people excited about it. So that's that's what the founding members are doing. And it's, you know, it's a dollar a month for the rest of your life. Like if you if you are willing to do that, like you, it's probably not for you. <laughs> well, and there's a great little brain uh, nugget of brain candy that comes every day in email that's uh, yeah, that's right. It's prompted me to think differently. I told you before we jumped on nice. that even in in reading through the first couple uh, tools, one of the things I realized in my office is there's not enough white space. Um, like I love to think, I love to have whiteboard or flip chart paper up on the wall. And in my current office environment, there's not enough of, not enough blank wall space for that to, to happen. And so I realized that for me is uh, a way of unlocking creativity. Yeah, just blank space to like sit and stare and think, as opposed to, uh, you know, staring at a, a wall of books and be like, oh, I'd love to read that. Oh, I should read that one. It's not creative for me. It's more like yeah. aspirational that I need to spend more time doing that. Mm. So yeah, I yeah. I actually struggled with that too. I had a whole part of my wall that was 
actually, you, I mean, the listeners at home are not able to see this, but all right. So if you look over my shoulder, you'll see like kind of a blue calendar back there. Yes. Like, yep. I see. Okay. It. So, so I used to have this, this wall with nothing on it. And when I was doing prolific, when I was, I was building out the pitch deck and trying to figure out the story that I wanted to tell and get the features organized, I needed sticky note area. I didn't have, I don't have a lot of space left because I used the wall for everything, but I had this one little parcel of my wall that wasn't used. So I made it the sticky note wall and it was great. I mean, I had it up there to look at every day over the past six months that it took us to build prolific. And it really inspired me and it helped me think of holes and gaps. And I'm like, uh, actually that feature sucks. Take that off the wall. And it, it, it inspired me. And, and now it's gone because I've replaced it with a different thing. Because now that we're live, I don't need the sticky notes. Now I have my victory log, which is also very important. Ooh, which nice. is Every day on my little daily calendar, I just write victories you know, for the day. Oh, we got five new users today. Or, oh, I did an interview or I got to shamelessly plug it with Adam. Great. Victory. So like, I'm with you on the wall space. I mean, that is huge. And there's a tool on Prolific called Wallwork. And if you type in wall work, you can find it and learn all about the psychology of how do you use the wall and how that makes you more prolific. Ooh. Okay. That's what I'm doing tonight. I'm going to jump yeah. into wall work. It, it's a good one. I do that at the, well, I used to do it at the office when I actually had a place to go for my day job. And yeah, I mean, people used to give me shit at work because like, I'd always be off in the corner, like putting shit on the wall and, uh, and, and people look back, what? what is Ginsburg doing? Like, what, what is he doing? But then like three weeks later, I'd be like, Hey, hey, come over here. Look at this thing. And then I would run them through whatever I was doing to get their feedback. Like, okay, so if we do this and this and this, and they're like, wow, that's actually really helpful to see it on the wall. I'm like, I know. <laughs> I'm not crazy. No, no, I am crazy, but crazy is not so bad. Let's talk about the crazy amount of time that you've worn a name tag. Yeah, I wrote down the number earlier, 7,315 days. That's 20 years. That's insane. 20 years of wearing a name tag. I want my listeners who may have come in, you know, in the last episode or 10 or 20 uh, to understand the genesis of this, because as you talked about in your TED talk, you were walking out of an event, right? Thought a garbage can full of name tags and you thought what? Like, I'm going to keep this thing on. Like, that's, that's me. I got to be different from everybody. got to be the opposite. So uh, I kept it on. And like, it was this, it was this, this, like the, like the movie sliding doors, just like that little moment that like sends you off into this trajectory. Like everyone starts saying hi to me. Everyone's nice to me. And like this, I was like halfway through college and like feeling lonely and didn't have my people yet. And was, was struggling. I had like a long distance girlfriend. I don't know what the hell I was thinking, but like, my loneliness evaporated that, that night and I forgot, it was like a distant memory that I was lonely because for one night, like I was make, talking to all these people and no one cared about my background or my, who I was or what your major was. They just want to say hi because people just want to say hi. Yeah. And, and I was like, well, why, would I, why would I ever take this thing off ever again? Uh, and that was 20 years ago. It's brilliant. To yeah. the extent, to the extent that you actually wear a permanent name tag, yes? Right, so if people were watching this, they would see the tattoo of a name tag that is on my chest. Uh, if, you, if you really want to, go on uh, incognito mode on your browser and just type in name tag tattoo, because you're not gonna want your spouse to see this. But yeah, every, uh, mom everywhere, shirtless. And uh, it's not like I'm buff or anything, so just prepare yourselves. And then like all the lists of the world's worst tattoos, I'm there the ugliest tattoos in the world, every one of the lists, I'm on it. And it's like, 
I don't know if that's an accomplishment. I guess it is. It's hilarious though. It, you got into Ripley's, believe it or not. Yeah. It, uh, it was it was it Guinness? Yeah. No. So, so Guinness Book rejected me multiple times, and it, the thing with Guinness is that their verification process is extremely like specific. There's a lot of rules, and they get a lot of applications, so they reject a lot of people. And the problem is when you wear a name tag every single day. If I was applying for the longest. Uh, the person who's worn the name tag for the longest days, technically tomorrow I break my own record. Mm. So that knocks me out. If I stopped, then like, I guess I would hold the record, but that's no good. So there's all these reasons I didn't get into them, but like Ripley's believe it or not, we're all the freaks who don't get into Guinness. <laughs> that's where I was. And like, I didn't even know about it. Some friend of mine told me about it. And then I was like, I bought the book because they have a book every year. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm, I'm right. I'm in Ripley's, believe it or not, right next to the guy that hammers nails into his own face. His nose, yeah. It's, it's the best. So there's that guy. His name is Leo Kangi. Leo and then me. And I, and I tell my friends, I'm like, you think I'm the weird one? <laughs> oh, tell a story real quick about uh, the fact that when you write them, like you have stacks and stacks of these, yeah? You yeah, do them. I mean, I... Mean, I Got them right here, yeah. Yeah, and how many might you write at a time? You know, I used to be more diligent about it. I got to say, um, doing them in mass, but it, I always have extra name tags in my wallet at any time because I live in New York. It's it's windy and crazy, and stuff happens and they fall off. So I got to have replacements. Got to have auxiliaries, you know, ready to go. Um, so you know, I'll write out a couple dozen of them. Yeah. And um, because I have my OCD tendencies and because I'm a marketer, they all have to be consistent because it's a brand. Um, so, you know, I knock them out. I got my, uh, got my blue Sharpie chisel tip here. You can't use a regular Sharpie. It doesn't get thick enough and you can't see it from 10 feet away like a name tag should be. So I use the, the fancy Sharpie chisel tip here. I'm, I'm still trying to get my sponsorship. Um, and that's, that's how I do it. I love it, man. The yeah. story that I think you told from the stage was, uh, in a bar and someone thought he, you know, some tough guy came up and like tore your name tag off. And then uh, you pulled the other one out of your wallet. Well, what's interesting is that that, so that story has happened many times, but it's never a guy. Only women do this. Oh, interesting. No male in 20 years has ever ripped off my name tag, except like someone who heard me tell that story and then did it for fun. I, I don't count that. Yeah. But no, it's only women. And I've, I've asked many people who have uh, gender studies backgrounds to help me figure this out. I don't know what the answer is, and I'm not going to pretend to know what it is, but only women rip it off and it, it does happen. So that's why you got to have extras. Oh, that's so good, man. Yeah. So good. Yeah. What's your prognostication, 2021? What happens for... Scott Ginsburg and all. Well, uh, you know, prolific is going to go hard uh, the beginning of the year uh, when when that time feels right. So I'm excited to, you know, tell the world about it and help kind of scale the impact of it and, and get a lot of people, you know, using it for different ways. What I'd like to see, you know, in my various brainstorms and, and sort of fantasies about what prolific could become, you know, I'd like to see it evolve into some enterprise solutions because I think a lot of softwares will do that. They'll they'll start with beta and have a small core of users. And you know, outside of the individual, I would love to see um, companies embracing it. And I, and I will do everything I can to make this happen is figure out how to take prolific as a curriculum and operationalize it within a team, within a company, so that way they can use it and sort of have their own silo so they can find sort of case studies and ways to make it apply to them. And I think if we do that, I can reach more people and, and we can help people just 
understand how to approach the creative process uh, in a healthier, more strategic way. And, and you know, doing that through an organization would, would be pretty exciting. So that's that might be V3, but that is definitely down the road. Well, I am honored to be a part of V1. I can't right. wait to be on the, the, the board of uh, users and, and folks to give you feedback on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, one more, one more time, Scott, for my audience, tell them how they can, how they can join, get involved, be a part of it. Sure. So, uh, just go to getprolific.io and you can learn more about personal creativity management. Um, one of the great things about going to the site is, um, you get a chance to try it out. You, you get to look at some tools. I'm not going to make you pay right away. Cause I want to, I want, look, man, I'm selling drugs and I want you to sample the, this, the stuff, baby. So take a look, enjoy it play around with it, think about how you can use it, and then we'll be there when you're ready. I love it, man. You are one of the most insanely creative friends that I have, um, and I'm honored to know you. I can't wait for us to hang out in person again. I hope that happens in 2021. I know, me too. I'm I'm Jonesin, man. I miss my friends and my family. I'm this week I've been I've been emailing just every single person I know. I'll be like, hey, how's it going? I miss you. Are you okay? And it feels good. Love it. Connection. Yeah. Connection and contribution. Uh, I appreciate you, my friend. You too. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for being on the show.